This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here, and it's Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. So this is a good day. The holidays are coming. It's also Pearl Harbor Day. It's a good day to talk about uh, giving back. And a few months ago, um, I was talking with Lawson's Finest, and they suggested that we talk about their their giving program. Um, so we have a few guests on, and that's our theme tonight. So let's go around the room and have everyone introduce themselves. Start with Karen. Hi, I'm Karen Lawson, co-owner of Lawson's Finest Liquids, based in Waitsfield, Vermont. All right, thanks for joining us. Erin? Hi, everyone. This is Erin Maciel. I'm the owner of Anesta Coffee in Saratoga Springs, New York. Oh, man, this is going to be a great show. And Richard? Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Richard Thomas. I'm a co-owner and brewer at Argyle Brewing Company, and we're in Greenwich, New York. All right. So, you know, everybody in business does something. You know, you've, you've got a pub or a restaurant. You donate gift cards to, you know, school PTAs or, you know, you, you've, you've got a bigger operation and, and you get, give space to community fundraisers and other things. So I think we all understand the concept of giving back. But um, we're going to talk uh, with, with these three individuals about their programs and what they're doing, whether it's global or local. And um, we're going to have a pretty great show, especially Christmas coming up. Just want to say I'm also inspired by Garrett Oliver and the work he's done the last year and a half uh, setting up the Michael J. Jackson Foundation, which has been providing scholarships um, for uh, people of color to go to places like Siebel Institute and um, – get the credit accreditation that they deserve um, to be working in the industry. So uh, let's, let's start with Karen. So Karen, the, the backstory was that um, I had had Sean Lawson on not too long ago and your team said, you know, next time you should talk with Karen about, about uh, Lawson's finest and giving back program. So why don't you tell us about that and how you're involved in it and how it came about? Cause that's kind of like the hook for this whole, whole episode. Yeah, that's great. So again, I'm Karen Lawson, and my husband, Sean, and I own uh, Lawson's Finest Liquids in Waitsfield, Vermont. And we started our brewery back in 2008, but it was home-based. We basically had a shed-style building next to our house that was not open to the public. And so for 10 years, Sean brewed beer out of this side building next to our house, and it wasn't until 2018 where we opened our tap room and brewery in Waitsfield. And, you know, philanthropy and supporting the community was always important to us as business owners. And so as a mom and pop operation, when we first started for those 10 years, our donations were really based on a portion of our sales. But when we opened our tap room and our brewery in Waitsfield, we really saw the opportunity to go way bigger with our impact and so we created our social impact program. 
And there's essentially six initiatives within that. The Probably the most well-known here in Vermont is our Sunshine Fund. And that's based out of our tap room where because our staff receive living wages and generous benefits, they don't accept tips. Essentially, when people come to enjoy our tap room and our beers, hospitality is included, but we're all so normalized when we go out to a restaurant or to a bar to tip. And so we use that opportunity to offer our guests the opportunity to provide donations. And so each month we have two different nonprofits that we highlight in the Sunshine Fund and the tap room. And it's up to our guests to decide if they want to donate and how much they want to donate. And it's been a really powerful program. I can tell you, Jimmy, that just in the three years that we've had the Sunshine Fund, we've been able to donate over $350,000 just through that initiative. How many years? Actually, no, it's way more than that. Hang on. So in three years, $757,000. Wow. That's a lot of loose change, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And that's, that's just here in the tap room. And we have other social impact initiatives within um, our program here in Vermont. And what we do is also we brew special beers for a cause. And uh, for example, we brew a kingdom trails IPA where we donate a portion of the sales to a certain cause. Kingdom Trails is a nonprofit up in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, and they are basically protecting the natural beauty of Vermont for hiking and biking. And so we brew a beer at least annually, and it's one of my favorites when it's out, Kingdom Trails IPA. You got to try it if you see it because it never lasts long. And, And we're just we're able to use our platform as a values-based business to really support the community that we live in. And we really prioritize that based on the people and the places in Vermont. So people being, you know, let's support people in their most basic needs around food and economic security and shelter. And let's also make sure that we're supporting our environment and making sure that it's sustainable for generations to come, that we have good water um, to both drink and make beer with and recreate in. (laughs) Wow. Well, that's, Karen, so I'm going to stop. That's a great start. We're going to go to some of our other guests and get a little intro as well. Let's go to Richard at Argyle. I've been to Argyle um, in, in Cambridge, New York, the, the, the tasting room, and then also Argyle, the, the brewery in Greenwich. Um, so it's great to meet you. Um, Richard, you're very involved in your community there, and, and it's definitely more of like a hyper-local operation. So tell us about some of the, the giving back that you do in your community. Sure. Um, again, uh, Richard Thomas here, co-owner. Uh, my two partners are Chris Castrio and Matt Stewart. And a word that we like to use, um, you know, when we discuss what our brewery does in the community is fellowship. And we we like to provide a space for, you know, we're in a very agricultural community and we like to, you know, bring local uh, producers in. We have makers market, markets. Um, we we like to utilize our, our brewery tap rooms as spaces to bring people together and to learn about what other people in the community are producing, how they're producing it, 
um, provide an opportunity to market their goods. Um, and then in addition to being a farm brewery ourselves, we, we take some of those raw materials and we make our beers with those. Uh, we like to put an educational component into that. We s- certainly spend a lot of time bringing people in and showing them how beer is made. Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand all of the different things that go into producing beer and especially using local ingredients that may have a lot of different variables that you have to take into, into consideration. And so a lot of what we do is, is very community-based and the way we like to give back is to, you know, integrate with our community um, and support it in any way that we can. Great. So, um, why don't we go to Aaron now? So tell us a little bit about Ernesto coffee and then we'll all bring it all together. Sure. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Um, so I'm Aaron Maciel. I'm the uh, co-owner of Anessa Coffee here in Saratoga Springs, New York. We launched this year, um, early 2021, and we are the sole importer of Cafe Anesta. Cafe Anesta is a collective of women farmers um, in Brasilia, Brazil, which is the capital of Brazil, and also in Mia Gerais, which is a large coffee growing region in um, central Brazil. So the main thing that um, drew me to bringing Cafe Anesta here was its um, connection to sustainability, promotion of organic farming in Brazil. Um, Brazil is, you know, it's a big coffee producing country. And so when you drive through Mia Gerais, I couldn't believe the first time I went there. It's like driving through, you know, cornfields in Nebraska, right? So it is machine-based, huge ranches. And so we kind of are changing changing the model with that and um, supporting small, um, small farmers and women farmers in this area. So um, one thing that is really important with uh, Nesta Coffee is how we can um, support women year round. So one thing is that many times when we buy uh, green coffee, It goes right onto a ship. It travels the globe, unfortunately, sometimes, and can sit there for up to a year before it actually gets to the U.S. And so we are changing that. We roast with um, farmers. We roast in Brasilia, and it gets to us within one week. And so one thing that's really exciting is that we're able to expand employment opportunities for women in Brazil throughout the year um, outside of harvest season. Wow, that's great. So Aaron, um, I know that you're also a landscape architect. Did you get into this because you wanted to do something with Brazil or you were going to open a coffee business? What what was the real hook for this? So um, I went to Brazil um, as a landscape architect and lived there for six months years ago, 15 years ago. Um, I ended up loving Brazil. I met my husband there. Um, We actually lived there for a couple of years, and then we moved to the United States. And so we go back and forth for years now. And I've always looked for an opportunity to, you know, how can I bring what I love of Brazil to the U.S. and provide um, a positive impact and bring money and funds back to um, back to Brasilia and, and you know anywhere in Brazil. And so, uh, when our, our friends that are fellow architects as well um, put together this collective, I said, "Oh, this is it. 
this is what really um, connects the global, like how can we be globally conscious um, and support a product that's actually um, connected to the values um, that, that we believe in. Wow, that's that's a great intro from all of you. Now let's go back to Karen. I cut you off, but already you got me with the Sunshine Fund um, instead of tips. You're, you you guys are getting great donations. What what's a project that really stands out for you from from the Sunshine Fund? It can be as little yeah. or big as it is. That's a great question. And what's really neat is I've been able to blend my previous occupation with what I do here at Lawson's Finest. Um, so when Sean and I were growing Lawson's Finest, literally from a mom and pop operation to where we are now with over 60 staff, I had a 20-year career in the state of Vermont in human services. And wow. so I worked really closely with a lot of nonprofits in our state. And it's just been this really neat connection of bringing them back into the fold through our sunshine fund and being able to highlight those organizations here and really educate folks that come here to our tap room to to let them know there's so many really incredible organizations out there serving our populations and helping our environment and so two that really are stand out for me uh, one is pathways vermont and that's an organization, when I worked for the Department of Corrections, they were one of the few organizations that really stepped up to the plate and helped folks that were leaving incarceration and reentering the community make a life after that. And a lot of the folks that come out of incarceration have some real barriers. I mean, poverty is a huge one, housing, finding employment, and oftentimes add mental health or substance abuse to that. And it just can be really problematic for folks to start a new life when they leave prison. And Pathways Vermont really just has their arms open to anyone who wants help, not only coming out of incarceration, but folks that are living in Vermont and struggling and looking for some help to just manage day to day. Uh, and another example is uh, today, we gave our November Sunshine Fund donation check to the Vermont River Conservancy and they are going to use their $18,000 that we gave them to to really improve a downtown Montpelier um, park that it's right in the capital downtown. A lot of visitors and locals use it and they're going to use our funds to create an ADA compliant park where it's much easier to get to. It'll be well taken care of year round. As you can imagine, the snow and the ice can be really tricky. And so they're using our donation to make sure that Montpelier, downtown Montpelier has an ADA accessible park for everyone to enjoy. Wow, that's great. It sounds like somebody wrote a job description and, and you filled it, right? <laughs> well, I can tell you, I joke all the time that I'm the one person at Lawson's Finest who's had the most job descriptions. I basically do whatever needs to be done. <laughs> but now that we're maturing and our tap room has been open for three years, I'm really able to focus much more on our social impact program. Wow. And then for Richard, um, you know, like how important is a giving back to your brewery? Is it something that you have to write down and have a mission statement? Or is it just something that you're doing 
as part of how you run your place? It's built into the philosophy of our, of our business. Um, you know, I think for the three of us owners, it was kind of um, an unsaid part of our mission statement from the beginning where, you know, we wanted to be a farm brewery and we looked forward to the opportunities that that would provide us in terms of communicating with farmers locally, talking with them about how they grow their food, um, talking with them about what we would like to see uh, if, you know, if we were going to purchase pumpkins for our annual pumpkin ale in the fall, these are the types of pumpkins we would look for. And these are the, the ways that we would like them to be grown. And it's, it's really rewarding for me because I get to be the one who often gets to go to the farm and invariably I'll bring a few beers with me. And, uh, <laughs> after we discuss, you know, what, what materials I'm going to be taking back to the brewery with me. Uh, I, I always spend some time just hanging out, learning about their business. They'll take me around and show me how they do what they do. Um, getting the sense that they're so appreciative that we respect their product and we will, you know, share what they do with everyone else in the community that's kind of the biggest reward that I get out of it. And I, it never gets old. So tell me about which farm did you pick the pumpkins from? What kind of pumpkins and what farm is it? So we use a hand melon farm in Greenwich for our pumpkins. And we look for a, a like a new England pie pumpkin because we want the enhanced sugar in the, in the flesh of the pumpkin. We feel it really comes through in the beer. Um, so that's, you know, that's one example. I, there's so many other local products that we, we work with our, our kind of our flagship spring seasonal beer is our maple porter. And so we, we bring in concentrated, uh, reverse osmosis, uh, maple sap from a local producer every year. And we actually replace the water in the whole brewing process with that sap. And it's a beer that is fun to make. It's not so fun to clean the brewing equipment after we make that one. But um, we, everyone in our community kind of looks forward to it. Usually when we release it, there's a line out the door. And it, it's just a fun day when we have that one. Um, so wow. those are the kinds of things that, you know, really motivate us. That's really cool. And, and then uh, for Aaron, just another like intro question. Um, so when you go to Brazil, I mean, how do you connect like global acting globally and locally? So I think one, one thing that's really exciting is that we're working with a network of small batch organic farmers, um, that are really pushing back on that, you know, big scale coffee. And so we can have we can essentially repeat what we do here, you know, in the Saratoga region or in Washington County, where we're connecting with the small farmers, you know, very similar to what Rich said. It's so exciting to be on the farm and actually hear the stories of, you know, maybe it was their grandparents' farm or how many generations they've been um, working on the farm. And so that's something that is really exciting to see that we are tapping into that network and bringing that, um, 
the coffee here with that same system that we would be doing here using local growers, but you, for something that we can't grow locally here. So that's Great. what I'm really and, excited and about. Tell us how you came together with Rich, because the reason you guys are on is that you guys are doing a collaboration. Yeah, so I we sell at the Cambridge Co-op. Um, we got set up there a couple months ago, and it's right across the street from their tap room in Cambridge, and it's this cool train station, rehab train station. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just walk over there and give some samples. And here we are, you know, talking about, um, you know, a collaboration with beer. And um, so that's, I mean, it was really kind of just by chance that I, I met Rich at the tap room that day and was able to give him some samples. And um, then we started brewing up the beer a couple of weeks ago and it was so much fun. I was, it was a great day. Wow. Rich, since, since we're also talking to Karen from Vermont, um, you guys are right on the border and I've actually been there. I've been to Cambridge and then Bennington, Vermont. How, how is your New York side of this? I'm going back to food and drink. We used to talk about how everything from Vermont, 10, 15 years ago was considered green and pure. And then the, we wanted the New York side to feel that way. So, you know, when I cross that border, I'm, I'm in New York. And then the other, just, just on the other side is Vermont, like Bennington. It, what's different? Do you know when you actually cross the border? Um, is food different? Is beer different? So I don't think so. You know, when you cross the border into Washington County, other than the color of the license plates, you're not going to notice a big difference. Um, it's it's still very rural, agricultural. There's lots of amazing local food being produced. We have Argyle Cheese Farmer, um, you know, maple syrup. It's it's pretty indistinguishable in our little neck of the woods when you cross that border. As you head maybe more west and south, maybe down to Albany, you know, you're going to start to see things change pretty quickly, but you know, we're, a lot of us kind of think of ourselves sometimes as honorary Vermonters up here. So <laughs> you want to be. <laughs> I think the true test, the true test is, do you still give that seven car spacing when you're driving on the roads? That's when you know that you've crossed over into New York because oh, people are way I, I more actually, in a rush. <laughs> that, that's funny you say that. We definitely do that up here. Uh, when I used to work in Albany and I always knew when I was getting far from home because the the tailgating would begin <laughs> as I got closer to Albany, <laughs> and just the the manners on the road would completely change. Yeah, Karen, that you you probably have a good insight. Tell us about Wait, Waits Waitsfield. Waitsfield, yeah. Because I've never been, so it sounds like you, it's a similar place as as where these other guys are from. Waitsfield is one of six other towns that comprise the, what we call the Mad River Valley. The Mad River runs through all of our towns and Warren hosts Sugarbush Ski Area. So a lot of folks know that. Faston hosts Mad River Glen Ski Area. And then Waitsfield is just down the mountain from both of those ski areas. And it's really the village. It's where you go grocery shopping. It's where you come to Lawson's Finest Tap Room. And what's really, I think, unique about our area, and especially given that we are six towns that come together, is really the sense of community. And that was really a driving force for us here at Lawson's Finest around creating our social impact program and making sure that we used our business to support 
the community because, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. Just down the road, uh, an 80 year old man, um, unfortunately, he lost his house in a fire and he was fine. His cat was fine, but he lost his house. And the whole community came together, provided donations that allowed him to purchase his own tiny home. So he stayed on his own plot of land, now has a tiny home. And not only did the community really rally around him to make sure he was housed, but they brought him food and he wasn't willing to leave his property while they were building his tiny home. So all summer, he lived out of his car and people brought him food and made sure he was okay, see to his appointments if he needed to go to the doctor. And that's really the ethos here in the Mad River Valley is that if you don't know someone, you're bound to know them through that the laws of what is it? Seven, seven circles, seven concentric <laughs> circles that you're bound to either be related or know them somehow. Wow. It's, it's beautiful. It, it's also like coming into this show. My first thought I was going to ask everybody like what their dream is or their vision. But what I like about each of you is that rather than having a vision, you're actually doing things that are needed and based on what's in your community. Um, so Karen, so we, we went through the, I'm still inspired by, by your sunshine fund and, and just how simple and, and beautiful that is. What, what are the other, other ways? I think we got through the first two or three. What are the other ways that you guys give back? Yeah. So I had mentioned good brews for a cause where we brew certain beers to, uh, donate proceeds to um, nonprofits around Vermont. And then we also have what we call SIP of support. And that's really our discretionary giving. As you can imagine, with the Sunshine Fund, it's based on a calendar year. And because we highlight two organizations per month, that's only 24 organizations that we can highlight each year. And we get way more applications than we do slots to fill them in. So SIP of support has been a great way for us to provide donations to the organizations that seek to be supported by Lawson's Finest. And, you know, the last two years, we've really harnessed Giving Tuesday, which just passed um, last week. And um, it's really a way for us collectively, internationally, to look at how can we give back to the people and the places that are important to us. And it's a reminder that it doesn't need to just be one day. It can be any day. And I'm really inspired hearing Aaron and Richard's stories here today about how each of them and their businesses are giving back. And through Giving Tuesday, we're able to still provide donations. For example, for this year's Giving Tuesday, we had 32 organizations that we donated almost $75,000 to is a way to say, you know what, we recognize that you have this need, especially in the pandemic. Grants are going away. Fundraising is really difficult. People all around are just having a tough time even making a go of it to support their family. And so we're really seeing that now more than ever is so important to support these organizations that then in turn support our neighbors. Wow, and it's it's really true. We we if you look around, you see so many uh, groups that are providing food to people and other services. But it does seem like there's always somebody that needs something. Um, do, do you? 
I'm sure you have another story, Karen. I want to hear all your stories. There's <laughs> another example of something. You, you might have thought that, that there wasn't the need for something, and then you 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 realize that that someone needed something. I you know, the the days so like I said in the Sunshine Fund, we donate to one or two organizations per month. And I can tell you that those days that I get to sit with them and talk about how are they going to use their their um, donations, it's incredibly powerful. And you can imagine some are heart-wrenching and um, we we raised money, accepted donations for a program called Our House. And it's based in Barrie, which is central Vermont, our focus of giving, because that's where we are and that's where we live. And Our House is an organization that supports children um, that have been victimized sexually. And they basically provide a welcoming, safe place for kids and their caregivers to come and talk about how they were offended and to to be able to basically um, turn that into a, a court sentence, a court to be able to sit in court and look at their violator and say, this is what you did to me. And this is how um, I need to be repaired. And so there's incredibly powerful stories. Some are heart wrenching, especially um, with kids and adults being victimized. And some have really great positive stories that we can actually turn it around and see like, wow, these donations that our guests are providing in our tap room are, are incredibly tangible. Our, one of our first donations was to our local ambulance and it enabled them to purchase a whole new ambulance. They had been riding around in a decades old ambulance that didn't even have an up-to-date radio system. So the folks that were driving the ambulance couldn't have a consistent way to speak to dispatch. And so for our guests to, you know, drop their donation when they leave our tap room and then to read about a month later in our newsletter, wow, their donation actually tangibly made people's, like it may have saved someone's life. It's incredibly powerful. Wow. This is really a, a moving uh, show. And I have to say it, it, it's appropriate because it, we're it's, we're in the holiday season, and I thought this was a great, great theme. Um, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. In Wisconsin, cheese is our thing. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? Otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese with intense requirements to succeed. Our master cheesemaker program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich 
you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Support us and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Um, so it's a great show. We're talking about breweries giving back and uh, with Lawson's Finest. And uh, we have Richard from Argyle Brewing up in uh, upstate New York above Albany. Richard, you're making a, a cool coffee stout. Tell us about that and um, the relationship with the coffee company. So this is a beer that we've been making for the past five years. We do it seasonally this time of year. And uh, it's it's personally one of my favorite beers that we do. Um, we use a medium to dark roast coffee. Uh, and this year, we we're very happy that Aaron approached us about working together. They have an amazing product there. And we were very happy to 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 put it into our, our porter. So it's, it's uh, a 6.2 alcohol or 6.2% ABV, uh, 25 IBU porter. Uh, we use a two row base malt from New York Craft Malt in Batavia, um, more specifically their Erie Canal Pale Malt. And we like it because it's, it's a clean and crisp malt. Um, we use New York Grown Fuggle, and in particular, this batch of fuggle that we're using has like a really, really pleasant, mild, earthy, vegetal um, flavor to it that we, we use in a lot of our beers. Uh, we also use some locally grown Munich malt and then a, a little bit of chocolate and black malt in there. So the, the coffee actually goes into a fine mesh uh, filter bag and we'll, we kind of just make a big tea bag and... Uh, add it to the boil kettle with 15 minutes left to let it steep and soak in there. And it fills the brew house with all kinds of amazing aromas and <laughs> everybody gets excited. So you got caffeine in there? A little bit. Yeah. I calculated it once. It's not a lot, but um, it's more the aroma and I, it's really fun to do it on a day that we're open when the tap room is open because customers come in and they just, that's the first thing that that hits them is that, that nice uh, aroma of the the malt and the the coffee together. It's you know the the beer itself has this nice fusion of like a dark kind of slightly sweet malty character, and it it just really plays well with the coffee. And I I know Aaron probably could speak um, more about the specifics of this particular um, coffee that we selected. Uh, to go in this beer where we're really happy with it. I've been tasting it this week as it's chilling and I, I'm excited about this batch. Rich, just as a, a brewer, did you have to do like a test batch? Uh, you know, or you just know from experience how much coffee you put in? The first few times we made this beer, we did test batches. And especially a few years ago when we upgraded our brew house, we did some more testing the past few uh, versions, we've just gone for it. And, you know, the experience on the system has made us pretty confident in, in uh, how it's going to come out. So we just we just go for it now. That sounds really great. I, I need that right now, the coffee porter. <laughs> um, so, Aaron, so like the highlights for you, you connected you connected your coffee with Richard. But, but going back to Brazil, so what what is it when – what are the people doing – 
that you're supporting, like, how do you harvest coffee? Do they, I don't know anything about it. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so the cool thing is, is that coffee is a shrub. So like, it's like, we have to wait for it to flower. And this is where my like plant geek comes out. I'm like, oh, it's a berry, you know, and in some things that you just don't even realize. And so um, you kind of see these like four to five foot shrubs um, in rows, you know, and, and you, you harvest it by hand picking. And you actually get all of the berries together. And then it's actually the seed inside of that fruit that is dried um, to create the coffee bean. And then um, it has to go through a certain drying process. Um, the cool thing about this um, spe uh, specialty coffee that we're using for the porter is called a yellow topaz. It's a rare um, varietal of coffee that comes out of Brazil. So instead of seeing red cherries, you actually see a yellow cherry. Um, it has a really beautiful like floral um, flavor to it. This is a medium roast one. Um, and so this comes from a grower. Uh, her name is Alini. Uh, she took over her family's farm. Uh, I think it was her great grandfather's and she started growing coffee again and is part of um, an association called Flor de Café. So it's the flowers of coffee and it's all the women. It's a women's association um, that they grow coffee and it's really exciting. I hope, you know, my dream is... I mean, I'm hearing Karen speak of all these things and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't wait to do, um, you know, more, more with, um, with the coffee and, and creating programs um, like you, you mentioned. And it would be wonderful to just keep reaching out to more uh, women, more farmers and how we can bring them um, into this process because, um, you know, the U.S. market and, you know, bringing the coffee here, it seems, you know, we see coffee everywhere. But if you're a small farmer that's only producing, you know, a couple rotations, a couple harvests a year, um, bringing it to the U.S. just almost seems impossible, you know. And so that's really what we're excited about is being that kind of that door um, to wow. this market. So so, so the, this woman, for example, is a, is a farmer. Approximately how much land is, is she farming coffee on Ooh, that's a good question um i don't know how much land she has um i mean like an acre a half acre five acres no no like a um typically like i think her farm is probably around five hectares and i i wish i could give you the conversion <laughs> but um i can't but uh you know like a medium-sized farm almost like um you know, it's just not the huge ranches um, that you would typically see coffee coming out of. Um, so smaller, um, almost like a hobby farm, I would say, you know, maybe that's like the American version of like, you know, a five to 10 or 15 acre farm here, um, which Washington County has a lot of those. Um, so it's, you know, we rotate. So the next batch that we're getting in um, actually this week, uh, it's in transit right now, is coming from our grower, Anna. She um, is bringing in, we're bringing in a new variety of coffee called um, Vermelia, uh, Katawai Vermelia. So it's a red Katawai. And um, I'm really excited about it. And so that's kind of how we keep going is by having different growers throughout the year. Yeah. In and are, are you like coaching them or or the steps that you've you've you know modified it's not just going to a wholesale commodity it's not sitting on a, a boat for a year um have you guys had to help you know 
I would say, I only use the word coaching because I think that's pretty generous. Um, like, are they, how do they ferment the beans? You know, what's the roasting setup? Did they already have access to roasters? Yes. So they're, they, the way that um, this has been set up is that we have our roasting happen in Brasilia. That's where it's packaged. We work together on building all of the FDA requirements um, to bring in our first shipment. And so we have to make sure that the USDA inspections are in there and, and getting that all set up. So that's kind of the bureaucracy side. Our goal is to be, you know, officially USDA organic, um, but that's going to take a little bit of time. COVID kind of slowed down inspection process for that in Brazil. Um, um, but I think what we had to learn was how quickly can we get it packaged from roast state and get it here to the U.S. Um, so that we can provide the freshest coffee. And you can taste the difference. It's incredible, you know, because the beans are there once they're ready to go. It's roasted and it's brought here. Um, so you're getting a different uh, type of roasting process. It's called a natural um, process. We're finding that to get the flavors of coffee that we have here in the US. Unfortunately, people add sticks into it, they add oils, they add a lot of things that are just not so great on our body. And so um, we actually, you know, we only do a natural roasting process and to try to bring it as true to the uh, original plant as possible. So you're saying like Starbucks has the super harsh roast because they're not using the highest quality coffee beans right for sure yeah i definitely um you, learned and you that cut very it with quickly. a lot you cut it with dunkin donuts you cut it with a lot of milk and sugar so mm -hmm. you're not yeah, really you're not really tasting the coffee i know yeah oh they're burning it um for sure and they're you know it's being roasted in europe and it's being roasted all over the world before it gets here um and uh yeah it's uh it's not such a like anything like any type of farming process once you start to open up you know that process and look at it um you start to see like oh maybe we should do this a little differently yeah <laughs> i don't usually speak out against big coffee but i did notice that you know years ago when i first started drinking those coffees and i'm like wow why is it so bitter and then you realize oh and everyone now that's why everyone's drinking you know very milky sweet coffee drinks because they're, they're not really drinking they don't have the taste of coffee you know but that's a whole another thing tell me about the coffee stout aaron and then we're going to go back to karen you must be really proud so it's a coffee porter it's a coffee porter yeah, I'm I'm super excited about it. It's, I mean, it's I used to way back in the day sell microbrews, and when I found out that I could put coffee in beer, and I realized it was like a light bulb went off. I go, oh my god, this is going to be great. So um, we're really excited. We're going to launch it uh, next Thursday. We're going to have a little event and um, get people together to try it. So tell me a little bit about your area because I've been up there, which is really cool. Um, Aaron and Richard. So just tell me like where the brewery is, a few favorite places to go, where you're going to launch the beer. You mentioned the Cambridge Food Co-op. I've actually been there. Um, <laughs> well, Rich, I don't know if you want to take, sure, uh, I can jump take in. a first crack at it. Yeah, Rich, so, tell us about that. You have a great tasting room in Cambridge, New York. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about that because it really represents the area. It, it's very beautiful. Yeah, we're, we've been really thrilled to be able to have our tasting room in that building. And you're right, it's, it's 
just looking at the building itself, you can see the history of it. And it's in a collection of other buildings that, you know, were used when the railroad was used more prevalently. And um, each of the buildings in that area is very historic and tells its own story. So, you know, when people walk through that area and come into our tap room and ju they just see the beautiful architecture inside, we often have live music. So local artists playing in the background. Uh, we get to share our product with them and talk about the beer and where it came from and who grew what that's in each style. The, the other cool thing that we like to do in our tasting room there is to have markets. So whether it's like um, a farmer's market on the weekends or a maker's market or a holiday market, we get local artisans to come in meet their neighbors, talk about what they produce, you know, hopefully sell their goods. And especially this time of year, we, we tend to do a lot of that. So it's a, it's in an, an old train. Yeah. It's in an old train depot and it's beautiful. Yeah. So wh where's the launch going to be for the coffee porter? We were thinking of doing that at our actual brewery in Greenwich. Uh, that's the original location. That's where all the manufacturing takes place. The tasting room there is smaller, but people can come in and they get to see the, the brewery equipment. And uh, we thought that'd be kind of fun to, to have it there. Well, just a shout out that I have some good farmer friends there in Washington County and Cambridge is a great little town. It's like pretty much next to Bennington, Vermont. There's, there's Greenwich, which is probably noted for having your brewery, Argyle. Yeah. And then you're right there in Saratoga where uh, our friend Nate is at Saratoga Hard Apple. So Karen, like back to you. So you're like, Social Services Director of Vermont, <laughs> and now you're directing the funding for the Losses <laughs> Finest programs. Um, how, how do we <laughs> how do we get to do more of these things with you? This is pretty fun. Um, well, and I'm going to tell you, Jimmy. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me to come and talk about this. And what is very clear to me and to others here at Losses Finest is that. We're just starting. I mean, this is only three years of a social impact program and to have to to really see our impact and and the ways that we can use our business to partner with other organizations is so powerful. And so I'm on a mission to like dig deeper, you know, what can we do in addition? How do how do I talk to others to learn their best practices? And so we're just about to embark on our next three-year strategic plan. And for me and the Lawson's Finest Social Impact Program, I'm really interested in engaging with other people and talking about what are they doing that we can add to what we're already thinking about. So it's just so incredible. And we're very fortunate and humbled to be able to do what we can to support our communities in this way through our business. And I just wanted to, Jimmy, make a note at the very beginning of the broadcast, you had talked about the Michael Jackson Foundation. And through our Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity Board here at Lawson's Finest, we are actually going to be hosting one or two brewers here in Waitsfield, Vermont, through the Michael Jackson Foundation. So we had to wait because of the pandemic. Um, we do have an Airbnb where our original brewery is located, and the house that used to be where we raised our two young girls is now an Airbnb. 
um, and it's still an active brewery. And so we're going to be hosting um, some folks from the Michael Jackson Foundation there in Warren, Vermont soon. So I agree with you. It's such a cool initiative and we love collaborating and learning from other people. Regrets, Garrett. I didn't get a chance to invite you to the show, but do you mind speaking about it a little bit? Because I think it's a huge, you know, going back to everything of 2020 and Black Lives Matters, what yes. Garrett did by stepping up, it's the Michael J. Jackson Foundation. Just tell us in your own words what, what yeah. it actually does, because that's really transformative. Sure. Well, I know for us, how we're approaching it is that we are making ourselves available and all of our resources here to really teach what we know about brewing. And so we're going to be inviting one or two folks here to Vermont. They're going to stay at our Airbnb and they're going to be on site for the better part of a week to learn really all of the aspects of running our business. So they're going to be brewing beer. They're going to be packaging beer. They're going to be seeing how we run our tap room and retail store, um, talking to our sales team. This is really an opportunity for us to mentor someone who has the interest in um, embedding themselves in the craft beer industry and learning from us and what we've learned. Because I can tell you that Sean and I really relied upon other people to help us as we grew. We would ask others, like, can you sit down and have a conversation? Because, you know, no one should have to reinvent the wheel over and over again. And I know in Vermont, the craft beer industry is such a sisterhood and brotherhood of like-minded people about supporting each other. And we want to do that for the Michael J. Jackson Foundation folks as well. Wow. You know, and one criticism of, I mean, you guys went from, you know, the original garage brew house to, you know, you, you grew. There's one criticism that's come up that a lot of craft breweries, like other businesses, weren't really prepared to grow in terms of like their human resources. Um, what's what's been your, your secret? Because sounds like you guys have done it right the last few years. Oh well, thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate that. You know, it, Sean and I, when we were growing, as so many other business owners do, when you're in it, you just put your head down and you have your blinders on and you work towards your end goal. And it's not until after you pass that finish line and you look in the rearview mirror and you're like, how did we ever get through that? I could tell you it was a lot of beer <laughs> drinking <laughs> and you have to laugh in the end, like, cause it could be super stressful. We grew very intensely over a short amount of time. We were prepared for it. We had a business plan. We had a key group of directors on our leadership team that were absolutely instrumental in making sure our growth was sustainable. Um, and, you know, honestly, the team that we've created here, it really is the Lawson's finest family. We joke it started as mom and pop, and then we had a lot of kids. <laughs> and they're, everyone really takes care of each other. We care about each other. We've had you know, some, some learning experiences that we can all take in stride. And we're, we're just super fortunate. And I think that comes through in our social impact program, honestly, is that we're humble. And we feel very fortunate to have what we do in brewing a really phenomenal beer. And so we want to give back to 
to those around us. Great. So it's December. What's a special Lawson's Finest beer that, that I should be drinking that you might be drinking right now? Yes. Well, I am drinking Triple Sunshine IPA. And it's something that you can all be drinking because we distributed Triple Sunshine to our nine-state Northeast market over November and December. Um, Basically, every quarter, we distribute a specialty batch uh, from our Waitsfield Brewery out to the Northeast so that you could try something that you would otherwise usually have to come to Vermont to try. We do some big drops around the Northeast. And Triple Sunshine... It's part of our Sunshine family. We call it the culmination because it's 10.5% ABV. It's a big beer. But you know why I like it, Jimmy, is because it's an IPA that is not bitter for that big ABV. It's it's really smooth. Oh, my gosh. It it's really like, like a good Belgian triple, even though it's not a Belgian, where it, it drinks a lot easier than you think it is. You don't really taste the alcohol. You don't taste you know, any harshness or bitterness either. I would agree totally with you. And, and, you know, I usually love my little sip IPA and that's another one that folks around the Northeast. That's that's what I'm drinking right now. I'm drinking a little sip. Yeah. And and that's one like, you know, I wouldn't have two triple sunshines at 10 and a half percent (laughs) each, but I could have two little sips. (laughs) Yeah, no, triple sunshine is great. And then it it really, for me, it's one of my favorite beers of, of this fall, early winter. So another another great one by you guys. And just go around the room quick. Richard, um, a beer on tap right now that you made that, that you want to give a shout out to. Well, we just released another fun seasonal uh, called our Winter Warmer. And it's a, basically an amber ale backbone that we add on some figs, raisins, cinnamon sticks, uh, cardamom, and cloves to. And we try not to go too overboard with the spices, but uh, they're definitely there. We call it Christmas in a glass and people enjoy it. And we're selling a lot of that these days. And that's something I, I kind of like to take home and, and sip on while I'm, you know, hanging out by the wood stove. Well, this one is it's great to reconnect with you and say hi to Matt. Like I said, we did a show about Washington State agriculture and, and drinks Way back, 2016. Um, and then, Aaron, for you, you know, you, besides your coffee, what what are you going to be drinking this week? You got something lined up or a go to, go to drink? Of course. Um, well, I actually really enjoy the Witch's Brew from Argyle, so I have some of that. I picked it up when I was there uh, last week before Thanksgiving. So I've been drinking that, and then I I did brew some coffee for our conversation, but it was a little late. Um, but I love to make my coffee with a mocha pot. I don't know if you guys ever um, drink coffee that way, um, but I so I had a cappuccino before I got here. <laughs> so oh, that's great. Yeah, I don't I don't think we have. Have a, a Heritage Radio Network uh, coffee show, but um, it's probably overdue, guys. I think that this is a, f- a fun thing. We did a ferment- fermentation show a couple weeks ago, and we keep forgetting that coffee's the process is fermenting. I still don't quite understand it. All I know is you're saying it starts as a flower, ends up roasted in my glass. So I think we can all learn more about it. This is really great. Yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm not going to ask any big, big questions because I think we. We covered it. You kind of want to, but I want to ask this one. Last one, holiday wish list, short answer, Karen, dream list or wish list? And it probably is for what you're doing. Oh, 
Jimmy, are you asking me, what do I want? What's my top list for Santa sure. this year? You can do that. That's fun. <laughs> um, you know, honestly, I'm getting my wish by having our family be together this Christmas, last Christmas. My family, I grew up in Connecticut, and my parents and my sister and her family are all in Connecticut. And I couldn't, be, we couldn't be with them last year because of the pandemic. And I, I got to tell you, some tears were shed on Christmas day. So honestly, I am just so grateful that our family here in Vermont can travel to Connecticut and we could have a family Christmas together. Great. And Erin, what about in Brazil? What What's Christmas like there? Oh, Christmas is fun there. It's very different. You don't have, um, so Santa appears at the door in the middle of the night. Um, so you have a big party and it's all through the night. It's the night that kids can stay up to like two in the morning or three in the morning. And so Santa arrives and everybody opens presents. And I will tell you, it was one, the first couple of years, the first one I ever went to, I, it was the biggest party. I was like, wow, this is a different type of, of <laughs> Christmas, you know, no going to bed, waiting for Santa. This is um, just having a great time. So yeah, Christmas in Brazil is through the night, which is really great. cool. And, and Richard up there in Greenwich and Cambridge, New York. Um, Either your Christmas wish or what's happening for Christmas. Well, I'll kind of second what Karen said. You know, I'm just happy to be able to gather with uh, friends and family a little more this year. And other than that, I would say maybe uh, a little less snow at a time. <laughs> Last year, we got 48 inches in the first snowfall of the year. And I'd appreciate it if it was spread out a little more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, I'm feeling good, and, and I know you guys are all doing good work in your community and, and beyond. And um, big thank you, especially, Karen, for um, the program that you do, the Social Impact Program. And um, thanks so much for supporting the Michael J. Jackson Foundation. Thank you, Jimmy, for having me. Okay, great. And thanks to Aaron and Richard, and big thanks to Armin Spengen, our engineer, uh, we're going to catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.